How's everybody doing? That's good, 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 good. Oh, okay, so I have a fun story for you. I've had a lot of good stories lately, so I feel the need to share them with you. So, um, um, okay, so the other day, my, my two daughters go to two different schools, one on one side of town and the other on the other, and um, on Fridays, that's my only day off, and I'll typically go with my wife, and we'll pick up the girls, we'll pick up one, and then drive to the other side of town, and go pick up the other, and uh, we just got a little bit of time, so we'll run through Starbucks or something and just kind of take our time from one to the other. So we're in our car, and uh, my wife's car, and we're listening to Pearl Jam, because that's what, you know, we like Pearl Jam. So we're uh, riding down the road listening to Pearl Jam, and all of a sudden my seven-year-old goes, Dad, I'm not an old man. And I'm like, what? She goes, this is old man music, turn it, and I'm not an old man. <laughs> and so I think from... <laughs> From that point forward, we were listening to like Taylor Swift all the way over to the other school, which that leads me to a confession. I'm going to confess something to you guys. So we have a lot of vinyl at our house. We, we, we have four or 500 records. I like records and we have an old turntable and, and uh, I've kind of taught my kids to love vinyl, right? So, you know, they know how to use a turntable and put records on and taught them how to like clean records and all that stuff, take care of records. And so I've started buying them their own records. And the first record I ever bought my girls was 1989 by Taylor Swift. It was the double record. Here's the confession part. Um, we've played that record so much that I find myself playing that record <laughs> when the girls aren't home, and I'm like, what am I doing, you know? Uh, that's kind of where I'm at, guys. So here's the thing. When I ask for you guys to, like, confess your sins and come up and get prayer, like, I've kind of done that with you guys, right? Confessed my darkest corners. I, I, so I expect that to be reciprocated. <laughs> so, all right, sorry. Let's get into the Bible, because I'm, I'm ruining it, right? So... One more thing I want to tell you guys. Uh, I talked to FCA last week, the head of FCA, and we give them a pretty substantial lot of, uh, amount of money every year to help with what they're doing because we really believe in what they're doing. I want to brag on you guys, though, a little bit. They set up a booth uh, for the last three or four weeks back there. People without us hounding you or telling you, we had people give out of their own pockets, just walk up and give over $5,000 in the last three weeks just to FCA. I just, I just want to boast on you guys a little bit and brag on you guys. You guys are such a giving, wonderful church, and it means a lot to me that they would walk up and say, people are just throwing money at us. Here, buy more Bibles, do this, do that. And I'm like, man, we have a really, really, really good church. And I just want to tell you that. I think you need to hear that every once in a while because I'm always yelling and griping and stuff at you. So I just wanted to say something nice too. So <laughs> anyways, we've been working through the book of, uh, that's enough of that nice stuff. We've been working through the book of 2 Timothy. <laughs> And um, we've been working kind of slowly through it, chapter by chapter, line by line. Last week, we were in chapter two, and we talked about this. Interesting thing. Paul says that Satan has traps for us. And it's true. We talk about spiritual warfare. And if we're in a war, right, good versus evil, that evil has set up traps for us. And if we're not careful, we can fall into these traps. And we talked about those traps, the traps of arguments and debates and selfishness and greed and all these different things that any of us can easily fall into if we're not careful, but we need to avoid those traps. This week, we're going to talk about this. We're in chapter three of 2 Timothy, which is in the New Testament. We're going to talk about that God loves us. And because God loves us, he wants us to succeed. Now, let me clarify success, right? Success biblically is not the same as success in a worldly look, right? It's not about you having a mansion and driving a Rolls Royce. Not that there's anything wrong with you having a mansion or driving a Rolls Royce, but that's not biblical success. Biblical success is healthy relationships, a healthy relationship with God for you to have contentment and fulfillment and to have purpose. That's what the, the kind of success 
God wants for us, and we can have that. And so God has given us tools so we can achieve that kind of success, but we have to be humble enough to use those tools. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, okay? So you should have got notes handouts in both uh, entrances you came in through. If you didn't get one of those, everything that's, that's, that is in the notes is going to be on the screens around you. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, if you click on service times and sermon notes, everything will be there for you, including the scripture. If you have a physical copy of the Bible, we're towards the back of your Bible in 2 Timothy. It's a letter written from an older man named Paul. He's in jail. He's about to be executed, and he's written this to a young protege of his, a young man named Timothy, that he's kind of giving the torch to, if you will, okay? So I'm going to read a little bit here in a minute. We'll break it down to the best of my ability, and we'll kind of see where the Lord takes us, all right? I'm going to pray, and we're going to open up a little bit extra time for you at the end to take communion, okay? We're going to start doing that more often, uh, kind of open up a little bit more time to give you guys the opportunity to take communion, all right? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, we thank you. Lord, I, I, I can honestly say I love this church so much. I'm, I'm so proud of this church, God. They love your word. They love you. Father, I just pray that we uh, can be strengthened by the word today. I pray that we can be encouraged and uplifted and sharpened and taught by it today, God. Lord, we not only pray for our church, we pray for every church in our city. We pray for the churches we work with all around the country. We pray with the churches we work with overseas and in other continents, God. We pray for the nonprofits that we get to serve and work with and give money to. We pray that they advance your kingdom. And we just pray that everything we do today, God, that it, that it edifies us and that it ultimately brings you honor and brings you attention, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God. Be with me as I teach today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter three. It's gonna start off with a bang, all right? Paul's gonna come out guns blazing. Here we go. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul says, but know this. Hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Now, when Paul says that hard times are going to come in the last days, the last days have been going on for a long time. Now, that doesn't mean we should take that for granted, but ever since Jesus Christ died on the cross and resurrected, we've been in the last days. Now, what's going to happen and what's been happening for the last 2,000 years is evil is escalating. The further we go in time, the more evil humanity is going to become. And the battle lines of what is good and what is evil is going to become more clear. Now, that clarity came from Jesus. When Jesus came to the earth, Jesus himself says, I came to bring a sword. Now, that's not a sword for fighting. It was a sword to draw a distinction, to make a line. This is what's righteous and holy. This is what is unholy and unrighteous, right? That God made that distinction. But as time goes on, more people are going to turn from Jesus Christ's teaching. So what Paul does for us is he gives us a pretty exhaustive and comprehensive list of what makes up 
godlessness, of what is not of God, of what is evil. People who have to succumb to evil are going to demonstrate these certain things in their lives. Now, I'm not going to go through every single one of them, but I'm going to go through the vast majority of them, right? Some of them are pretty self-explanatory. The first thing Paul says, those people are going to become increasingly lovers of self, which means they're going to be self-centered. They're not focused on God. They're focused on humanity, humanism, right? Selfish desires. This really took off during the Renaissance period when you had individuals like Michelangelo and Leonardo, the the Renaissance men, right? Who really pushed that humanity can do everything. Mankind can do everything. I'm not gonna give you a history or an art lesson here, but one of Michelangelo's most famous series of structures besides David, which that's a whole other conversation. That's not the biblical David, it's another David. But anyways, you can get into the most famous statues that he ever built were a, a series of statues where man is coming up out of the rock. And it's showing that mankind can do anything they can put their mind to, right? Mankind will triumph. It's not about God, it's about us. And ever since Jesus Christ died on the cross and resurrected, we've become more lovers of self. We've become more lovers of money. We're greedy, we're envious, we want what other people have, there's never enough. We become more boastful and more proud. Not only are we arrogant, but we're too smart to learn from anyone else, right? We're too good to take lessons from anyone else. We already know it all. We're boastful. We're proud. We've become demeaning. Why? Because when we're prideful and when we're arrogant, it naturally leads to us looking down on other people. It instantly leads to us having no respect. We have no respect for anyone. Not for our peers, not for our parents, not for our government, not for church authority, not for any authority in general. We don't respect police officers or people in the military. We don't respect anybody. We're a culture that is extremely disrespectful and demeaning. And I'll give a little bit of grace to this one. People are going to become increasingly disobedient to parents. Now, here's why I'm going to show you some grace on this one. Because most parents aren't doing a very good job of parenting. I went and spoke at an elementary school a couple of weeks ago, right when school started. They brought me into this one school, public school, and I spoke to the entire fifth grade class. I loved it. I have a fifth grader. So I spoke to the entire fifth grade class, and I said, don't raise your hand. They did anyways. I said, don't raise your hand, but how many of you don't have fathers in your lives? And about 80% of those kids have no idea who their dad is. I'm sitting here looking at 125, 150 fifth graders at just one school in our city, And overwhelmingly, they have no relationship with their father. No wonder they don't know how to respect people. No wonder they're disobedient. They've never been taught anything differently. We're going to become more and more ungrateful. We are an entitled generation, right? You owe me. Everyone owes me. I'm owed this. Not appreciating the things that we do have in the most prosperous nation that's ever existed, but we are entitled. We just want more and more. We're going to become more unholy not only practicing things that are evil, but having no desire to practice what is good. We don't have any desire to do what is right. And so people are going to become more unloving, uh, irreconcilable, that there's no reconciliation between people. We're going to become slanderous. Why? Because without a love for people, there's no desire to get along with people. There's no desire to speak kindly about people. There's no desire to do things to help other people. And so we become a people with no self-control, brutal, without love for anything that is good. Here's the problem in our modern day culture. We have no absolutes. And when there's no absolute good and evil, no absolute right and wrong, the Bible says where there's no direction, where there's no vision, the people run wild. 
Where there's no target, there's nothing to aim at, right? So arrows fire in every direction and people get hurt by that. We're unloving, there's no self-control, we've become brutal, we have no desire to, to do what is good. All of this comes from this very last thing Paul says. People are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They are lovers of their own pleasures, what feels good to them. That is the source of all this evil. The fact that we have made ourselves God. We have made ourselves the focus. And when we do that, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, all these other things take place. And Paul says that people will even have this this form of godliness, but there's no power. They deny the power. So what has happened in our culture is we see a lot of celebrities and movie stars and beautiful, rich, affluential people, and we see these things and we think, well, this is godly, right? This is good. We need to listen to them and follow them. There's this appearance of something holy and good. Even some of them will even say that they're Christians, even though they do nothing what the Bible tells them to do. But because of their evil behavior and their deception, they have this facade of godliness. They have this facade of being something holy and something that can give us direction and and light, but there's nothing behind it. All we have to do is look at culture, right? Culture says, pursue this and love yourself and love all these other things and pursue fame and fortune and Instagram fame and YouTube fame and all this stuff. And look at the result of this. Fatherless homes skyrocket, right? Suicide skyrockets, depression skyrockets, loneliness skyrockets. All these things are happening, broken homes, divorce, all these things. The stats are blowing out the roof. So all we have to do is look at the fruit of culture and know that it's not working. There's no substance behind it. There's this appearance of good, but there's no power. Why? Because they've denied the very source of power, God, right? This form of godliness, but there's no power. And so Paul says, avoid that. Now listen, in just a couple of chapters ago, Paul tells us to go out into that, right? He commands us to go out all throughout 1 and 2 Timothy, go out into the world to do these things. Jesus Christ even hung out with the publicans and the sinners and the worst of the worst. So is the Bible contradicting itself here? We're to stay away from these people? So when you study this, to avoid them means to not let them have influence over you. We can't escape the world. We're in the world. So we're to spend time with people who don't know Christ in the hopes of teaching them Christ, in the hopes of showing them what freedom is. Now, if we're going to do that, though, if we're going to go out into the darkness, if we're going to help our families and our neighborhoods and our schools and our governments and all the different dark corners of society, we better be extremely close to Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We're not to be isolated from the world. We're to be insulated by the Holy Spirit so we can go out into the world. So Christianity has made the mistake. Let's be isolated. No, no. Jesus doesn't want you to be isolated. He wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit, protected by the Holy Spirit, so we can take that light out into the darkness. Not isolated, insulated, okay? Everyone still with me? Still can't get over the fact that I listen to Taylor Swift. It's cool, we'll make it, we're gonna move forward. (laughs) For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins, and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus 
and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind. They're worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. I'll tell you who those guys are here in a second. So what Paul was saying is these people who are deceptive, these people who have this image of godliness, but there's really no power behind it, they worm their way into households. Now, in Paul's time, what was happening is you'd have these false teachers, you'd have these swindlers in our day and age, right? It's those televangelists who prey on people at three o'clock in the morning and people who are desperate, right? We have guys like that still in the world. But what they would do in Paul's time is they would find widows or they would find older women who, who didn't really have much else to do and they were kind of selfish anyways, and they would prey on these women and they would take advantage of them. So Paul is not picking on women here. What he's saying, though, is any one of us who is pursuing ourselves, even if it looks like we're pursuing Jesus, you know, a lot of people say that they follow Jesus, but they're really in it for what's, what's in it for them, right? Even a lot of these people, these preachers who say, give $1,000 and God will give you 10000 back. So these people that give $1,000, they are not doing it because they want to feed orphans. They're not doing it because they want to plant churches and do the work of the gospel. They're doing it because they think it's going to be good financially for them. It's not about Jesus, it's about them. And so because their hearts are in the wrong place, they can easily be taken advantage of. And so what was happening in Paul's time, listen, it's happening a lot in our time as well, is these people that Paul were referring to, they were studying books all the time, right? Self-help books and all these kinds of books about how they can be better, but they never came to a knowledge of the truth. They were reading every single book except for this book. We do the same thing in Christianity today. We're reading every new passing fad and self-help book and all these books that kind of come shrouded in Christianity, but it's really about you living your best life now, if that wasn't passive aggressive enough. And so all this different stuff about how it's really not about Jesus, it's about you. And what happens is this. Because none of us read the word of truth, we can't, distinct, we can't make a distinction between what is bad teaching and what is good teaching. If you're a Christian in this room and you want to read a book, this should be the first book you should read. Now, if you don't read this book and you read every other passing Christian fad that comes along, you're going to be taught some really bad theology and you're not going to know any better because this book holds the answers to what is good teaching and what is not good teaching. So we have to read that, that book first. We'll come to a lot of knowledge. We'll learn a lot of stuff, but we won't know the truth unless we go to the word of truth. So who is this Janus and Jambres characters? Who are these guys? If you go back to the book of Exodus in chapter seven, Moses stood in front of the Pharaoh one time and the Pharaoh brought out two magicians to try to oppose the work of God and Moses, right? Now, the book of Exodus never tells us who these two men are. It never mentions their names, the only reason why Paul knew their names is because of Jewish history, which shows us sometimes for historical context, it's okay to go out of the Bible, not for, not for spiritual truths, but for context, we can look at history as well. But these two men, just like they opposed Moses, there are people like that nowadays who oppose God, they oppose the truth. And the people that oppose the truth, Paul says that they're corrupt in their mind and they're worthless in regard to faith. What has happened is this. 
Whenever people go so far that they have no desire to do what is good, they have no desire to be humble, they have no desire to repent, they have no desire to do what God wants them to do. The Bible says that God will give people like this over to a reprobate mind or a worthless or depraved mind. Basically, they, they have made it very clear that they don't want God, so God says, okay, that's fine. And he separates himself from them. Now, there's often a lot of confusion. This is called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people say, well, what is that? If I make fun of God or make fun of the Holy Spirit, he won't forgive me? That's not what that's saying. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a pride issue. Basically, God will forgive you of any sin. You can think of the most horrendous things possible, right? And so Paul, who had committed murder himself, right? Like there were people who had committed awful things and God forgave them. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when we have become so arrogant and prideful that we refuse to ask for God's forgiveness. The only sin that God will not forgive you for is the one that you refuse to ask forgiveness for. When you thought you are so good that you've done nothing wrong and you don't need God's forgiveness. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and he can't forgive you. But Paul's point is this. Eventually this facade is going to crumble. Timothy was looking around People were leaving the church. People were violent. People were brutal. They were godless. They were awful. They were doing terrible things. Culture around him was being so self-destructive. And so God knew and Paul knew that Timothy was probably struggling. So Paul says, Timothy, hold on. It's gonna be okay. God is gonna pull you through. God is gonna win in the end. I know it doesn't look like it right now, but God is gonna win out. Win out. I don't know if you guys are ever like this. If you ever read the news, you know what I'm talking about. You pick up your iPhone and you go through like Apple News and you're like, my Lord, the world is crazy, right? There's a shooting every day. There's a mass stabbing every day. If you go through like you know, all the different pop culture stuff, everyone is out of their mind and everyone is crazy. And it's very easy to look back and say, God, we're failing. We're losing. I don't know how in the world you're gonna win. And in those times though, guys, maybe you need to go back to the end of Revelation and just be reminded that God is going to win, right? The truth is going to win. It's going to be okay. I may not see exactly how yet, but God is going to prevail. The teachings of God are going to prevail. The light can never be overcome by the darkness. It will not happen. And we need to be reminded about that, okay? All right, last part. Paul says, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live godly, live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Well, wait a second. All those prosperity gospel people tell you that if you just give money that you'll never experience any persecution, right? A lot of these wacko charismatics that are way off on the far side of that world tell you that we're never gonna get sick and we'll always be healed and everything's gonna be okay. And the word of God just tells us right there, every single one of us that wanna live a godly life will be persecuted. Every single one of us. It's good to know the word of God, guys. It's just side note there. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and what you firmly believed, 
You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is this, your life will exhibit your faith. James in the Bible says it this way, you can tell me you have faith, I'm going to show you that I have faith. So Paul says, Timothy, look, I've shown you, I've taught you, I've shown you my conduct, purpose, I've shown you my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. I have modeled for you what it means to follow Jesus. And Paul says, Timothy, you've done a good job of doing that too. You have modeled this. So what we learn is this. Guys, this is very, very important. If you hear nothing else I say today, this this may be one of the most important things. Being a Christian is comprised of two things. It is knowing good theology, which means knowing what is right, and it is living good theology, which means doing what is right. It is not enough just to know what is right. We must do what is right. I can know that I'm supposed to be faithful to my wife, but if I'm not faithful, I'm gonna end up in divorce. I have to know what is right, and I also have to do what is right. And in our neck of the woods in Christianity, everyone's like, well, I know who Jesus is. Awesome. Do you live like you know who Jesus is? It's a combination of knowing what is right and doing what is right. Another hallmark of our faith is it is going to be difficult. If you don't know anything about the life of Paul, go to the book of Acts. Here's kind of an abbreviated version of Paul's life. Roll into a town, get the snot kicked out of me, right? Go to another town, snot kicked out. Go to this town, get the snot kicked out of me so bad that they think I'm dead. They toss me over a cliff, but I live. And go to another town where they kick the snot out of me again, right? That's kind of Paul's life in a nutshell. Starting churches, getting beat up. By the time he wrote Timothy, he probably didn't have any teeth. He was probably all beat up and scarred and probably looked super rough. And when he wrote this, he was in jail awaiting his execution. You know what's fascinating though? Paul says, God was with me the whole time. (laughs) You know, we have a friend unlike us on Facebook and I'm like, God, where are you? (laughs) Paul just had his teeth knocked out and left for dead. And he's like, praise God, right? Crazy. But that was the life that Paul lived. He knew that God was with him every single step of the way. And he says, Timothy, All of us who want to live godly lives are going to suffer persecution. All of us. So what we have to do, even though we don't understand sometimes, God, why is this going on? God's not offended by us asking questions, but we have to know that God knows what he's doing. We have to trust him. We have to know that God wants what's best for us, regardless of how it looks, regardless of how it feels. God, I know you want what's best for me. I'm going to keep pushing forward. We also need to understand that Christianity is never going to be the cool thing. I think a lot of us think that one day we're going to be like the hip thing to do, right? Jars of clay gets, you know, nominated for a Grammy. We're like, here we go. And that goes away, right? Real quick. So every time we put out a decent Christian movie or a decent Christian band, we're like, here we are. We're going to be it. And Jesus said, you're never going to be it. He said, if the world loved you, you'd be of the world, but you're not of the world. So they're going to hate you right? We're never going to be the cool thing to do. We need to understand that evil is going to increase. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. That doesn't mean that a lot of people aren't going to be saved. It doesn't mean that Christianity is not going to increase. I believe it will. 
but we're never gonna be the popular thing. We're never gonna be the cool pop culture thing. But we must continue to do what is right. Listen, if you're a boxer in here, for instance, right? And you know you have a fight coming up and you know that your adversary is very, very strong. You train, you work out, you watch your diet, you spar, right? You hit the punching bag, you get ready. So we know that there's a spiritual battle and we know that our enemy is working harder than he's ever worked. So we must also be diligent. If we know that times are going to get worse, because the Bible says they're going to get worse, we must be studying. We must be practicing and standing firm on what we've been taught. We must be praying. We must be building a relationship, not only with God, we must be building a relationship with each other. We need each other, guys. We don't need to be tearing apart other Christians. We need to be going arm in arm with them, holding each other up, because I'm gonna mess up, you're gonna mess up. And we need to be able to pick each other up. Come on, man, we're going forward. We're gonna keep on fighting. We're gonna keep on doing the right thing. We know it's gonna get tough and we have to be ready for that. We have to be ready to fight the good fight. And so Paul looks at Timothy and he goes, man, you've been trained up well. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Timothy's grandmother was a Christian and his mother was a Christian. He was raised up by these good, strong women in the faith. He was taught the sacred scriptures, the Old Testament. He was modeled what it means to follow Jesus Christ by these people in his life. Now, I know what some of you are saying in this room. Well, I never had a dad that read the Bible to me or taught me what it meant to be a good man of God. I've never had a mother that taught me how to be a good woman of God. I never had brothers and sisters that showed me how to do those things. Listen, I have a great relationship with my mom. She's probably watching right now in St. Louis. But besides my mother, I have no relationship with anyone in my family, not my sister and not my father. So guys, I wasn't modeled by my father what it meant to be a Christian. Never. Didn't become a Christian until I was in my 20s. That's what's beautiful about the church, guys. If you don't have any mother figures in your life, there's thousands of them in this church. If you've never had a brother or sister to hold you accountable and hold you up, you got thousands of them around you. If you've never had a good, strong man in your life, we have those here. We can partner you up with a father figure, someone that can show you what it means to be a man of God and to be strong in God. That's why we have this church family, because sometimes our biological families fall apart, so God has given us a spiritual family that we will live with for eternity that we will celebrate with and, and we'll be there in the lowest times and we'll be there in the highest times and there to pick each other up. And the Bible says, bear each other's burdens. Guys, this is why the church is important. This is why the Bible says, go to church more than you've ever been. I think it's the 10th chapter of Hebrews. The closer and closer Jesus' return gets, be at church. Well, I don't need church. You do need church. It may not be this church, but you need a church and you need to be there on a consistent basis, being lifted up and also lifting other people up as well. You need the church. We also have the word of God that God has given us. Well, the Bible was written by people. I know it was written by people, but one of those people said that the whole time they were writing it, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It may have been a man's hand on the pen or the quill, right? But it was God that was making it move and giving those words to him. The word of God. You know, whenever people say God's never spoken to me, I'm like, God wrote you a really, really long letter, right? And if you read it out loud, you are hearing God speak to you. The word of God is the supernatural wisdom that God gives us straight from his mind. 
tells us how to be men, how to be women, how to raise kids, how to be a kid and, and honor our parents, how to honor government, how to honor authority, how to handle our finances, how to love those that persecute us and pray for those that hate us. The whole nine yards, that book shows us all these things. That book is the definitive anchor of what is right and wrong. Corey, what do I do? That book gives you the answers. It is the roadmap on how to be reconciled with our creator. God has given this to us. And listen, though we don't worship the leather and the paper, the principles that are in this book, it even says, has the wisdom for salvation. This, the principles taught in this book, it even says here at the end, make us complete and equip us for every good work. Complete, complete. Listen, we need to get on the same page here before we move forward with this lesson. You may not agree with me, but let's, let's agree just for the sake of, you know, just humor me for a second so we can work through the last couple of slides of this. Whether you believe it in your heart or not right now, I'm gonna ask you to kind of agree with me in your mind. We need to get it deep down into our brains that God loves us and God wants the best for us. He wants us to succeed, biblically succeed. Again, I'm not talking about a mansion and a Rolls Royce. I'm talking about God wants you to be content. God wants you to be fulfilled. He wants to live with you forever in heaven, right? But even before salvation and even before eternity, God wants you to be content right now. Now, I often hear people say, God wants us to be happy. That's not true. That's not in the Bible. It's not that God wants you to be happy. You know why God doesn't want you to be happy? He wants something better for you. You know why he doesn't want you to focus on happiness? Happiness is contingent on what you have or don't have. Happiness is contingent on circumstances. The difference between happiness and contentment is contentment is I may not have anything. I may not have anything given to me. I may not have any money. I may not have anything in this world, but I have God and I realize my value is found in him. So I'm content. Paul was content in prison waiting for his execution. He probably wasn't happy about it, but he had joy and contentment because he knew that he had God. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants something far greater than happiness. He wants you to have joy and contentment because regardless of what happens to you, regardless of what is robbed and taken from you, you can still find joy and contentment because our value and our worth comes from him not from our stuff. He wants joy. He wants contentment. He wants fulfillment. Now, for argument's sake, let's say we all agree on that. God loves me. God wants what's best for me, okay? Let's say we agree on that. So because God loves us, because God wants us to be content, fulfilled, to have purpose, God wants us to do good things and have healthy relationships and all the, the, the whole nine yards. Because of that, God has given us instruments. He's given us tools. He's given us things that, listen, here, here's, here's the linchpin in this whole lesson, guys. If we will submit to God, we hate that word, don't we? If we will submit to God, and if we will be humble, that's the linchpin to everything, humility. If we will be submissive to God and humble and pick up these tools that God has laid down for us, we can live the lives that God wants us to live. We can be righteous. 
We can be holy, we can be content, we can be fulfilled, we can have good marriages, we can have good schools, we can have good work environments, we can have strong families, all those things. If we will be humble and if we will submit and use these tools. Well, Corey, what in the heck are the tools? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first one is a big one, it's called the Holy Spirit. Listen, I want you guys to really think about this for a second. Jesus, around the time of his, his uh, crucifixion, he said, listen, I want you to go and wait for me and I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter and the counselor. Listen, the reason why some of you felt the Holy Spirit in here today, and that's a great thing. I have a lot of people send me emails. I really felt the Holy Spirit in there. Listen, there is nothing special about this building. I know it's a neat old building, nothing special about this building. God does not reside in buildings. The Bible says that God resides in you. Anyone who has genuinely given their life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says you are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. You have a chunk of God in you. So the reason why you feel God right now in this room, if you feel God, is not because God is hanging out in this building. It's because God is hanging out in the people around you. That's where he resides in our hearts. And he is the comforter and the counselor. What that means is God's not just in front of us or behind us or to the left and right. God is in us. And so if I'm going through hard times and I need some peace, all I have to do is talk to the Prince of Peace. God, I need some comfort. He gives us comfort. He's the comforter. If I don't know which way to go, if I don't know the direction to take, God, I need counsel. He gives us counsel. He's the counselor. The first tool that God has given us is himself. You guys need to remember that God's not next to you. God is inside of you, inside of you. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we also have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is when people get freaked out, right? Corey's gonna talk about speaking in tongues up there. <laughs> Listen, I believe in speaking in tongues because it's biblical. I believe in the interpretation of tongues. I believe in the gift of wisdom and knowledge and healing and courageous faith, all those things. We need those things. God from one spirit, his Holy Spirit, gives us whatever gifts we need whenever we need them. And so we are to say, God, I want the gifts of the Spirit. These are tools that, that edify the church. They build my relationship with you. Whichever tools you want to give me, God, I'll, I'll take them, right? We're not to be afraid of those things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, don't be ignorant about them. Don't be afraid of them. Just don't be ignorant. The reason so many of us are afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is we are ignorant to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I get a kick out of a lot of Christians who are, you bring up the Holy Spirit and they're like, oh, that freaks me out. I just watched this movie about this possessed six-year-old who's vomiting all this green goo and has a pentagram on her head. But man, that speaking in tongue stuff freaks me out, man. <laughs> you need the gift of discernment, right? <laughs> hmm. Prayer is another great gift. Think about this for a second, guys. Not only is the creator God in you, you can talk to him. Seriously, think about that for a second. When you walk out today, you're going to feel the heat of this big blazing ball of fire in the sky called the sun. God made that. You're going to touch the grass today. You're going to see trees. You're going to see other people. You're going to see birds in the sky. And if you have pets, you see your animals and all this different stuff. God created all of that by speaking it. And guess what? You can talk to him. Listen, and not only does he hear you, when you ask for things that are in alignment with his will, God responds to you. Think about it. 
We don't pray enough because I think we have forgotten how big of a deal that is. I don't have to go to a saint. I don't have to go through anyone else. I can speak directly to the creator God. And he hears me and he responds to me when I'm praying in his will. That's a great gift, guys. Why don't we use it more often? We also have the church. God has created and given us the church because we need sometimes people to call us out. We need to be held accountable. Again, for those of us who maybe don't have family in our lives, those of us who might be widowed or orphaned or whatever the case may be, we have community. We can bind together. We can pull our resources together and change the community around us. Bill Heibel said one time that the local church is the hope of the community. We need the church. This is our family. These are the people that I hope you're going to be living with for eternity. Like, man, for eternity? Yes, eternity, right? Because we love each other a lot. Love each other. (laughs) But we need this. It's a great tool that God has given us. And God has given us another tool. He's given us the Bible. Like I said before, this is the mind of God on paper. Corey, I don't know what to do. Pick up the word of God. Do a simple like Google search, right? How should I handle my finances? Bible, boom. It'll show you Malachi chapter three and it'll show you other parts in the Bible to tell you how to handle your finances. Well, how should I deal with people that hate me? Man, you can find the scripture in Matthew where Jesus tells us how to deal with people that hate us. And so you can go in. It's the most clear way to know God's will. It's the most clear way to know what he wants us to do, his desires for us. And Paul says the Bible teaches us, tells us what's right and wrong. Corey, I don't know what's right and wrong. The Bible tells us black and white, clear as crystal, what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes the Bible also rebukes us. Now, I know we don't like that. We're a culture that blame shifts, right? We don't, we don't accept any blame. We, we pass that on to someone else, right? It's Donald Trump's fault. It's, Donald Trump doesn't know you, by the way. It's Donald Trump's fault. It's Barack Obama's fault. It's George Bush's fault. It's everyone's fault except for mine, right? You need to pay my student loans because I went to NYU, racked up a quarter of a million dollars to get a $30,000 a year job. It's your fault. I didn't do that. It's your fault, right? Pay for it. It's ludicrous, by the way, guys. So we're constantly shifting the blame to someone else. And do you know what the Bible does to us sometimes? It says it's your fault. (laughs) The Bible says we're like dogs that return to our vomit. Thank you, right? (laughs) But listen, some of us need to be rebuked sometimes. Well, it's my parents' fault that I do this. It's not your parents' fault that you cheated on your wife. It's your fault. You need to own up to that. You need to be humble and you need to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes the Bible says it's you. It's not me. It's not your neighbor. It's you. And sometimes we need that. The Bible also corrects us and it trains us in righteousness. Now listen, why does the word of God do all this? Because God just loves smacking us around, right? No. Jesus said, Jesus said in the gospel of John, I discipline you because I love you. I love you. Just like any good parent in here, right? You make your kids eat broccoli, not because you love that face they're making, not because you love shoving food into your kid's mouth, but you know that they need vitamins to be healthy. And if you let them eat donuts all the time and do whatever they wanted to do, it's not good for them. And so we discipline our children. We get on to our children. We correct our children. We train our children so they can be complete. So they can be equipped and ready to go out into the world and do something good out there. It's the same thing with our heavenly father. Sometimes he needs to rebuke us. 
He trains us, He corrects us, but He does these things because He wants the best for you. He wants you to go out into that darkness and be the light. Jesus, in in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. He says, but if you're going to be the light, right, you have to be equipped, you have to be trained, you have to be complete to go out because that world is dark and it's going to get darker. So God loves you. If you want your family to be complete, you need the principles that are in that book. You need the teaching and the correcting and the rebuking and the training. If you want your marriage to be complete, if you want to be equipped to be the man you need to be or the, the, the mom you need to be or the kids you need to be or the students you need to be, whatever your lot in life is, you need the principles in that book. The teaching, the training, the correcting, the rebuking, you need those things. Why? Because God wants what's best for you right now, today. And this book also contains the wisdom for eternal salvation. Not only does he want the best for you today, he wants the best for you forever. I didn't say this at the other lessons, but I just felt like I needed to say it now. Some of you need to get it in your brains that God loves you. Some of you need to get it in your hearts that God loves you. Some of you need to know that your value doesn't come from the things you've done, the things you don't have or the things you do have. Your value, your importance comes because you were made in the image of God. He wants good things for you. The Bible even says that he has good plans for you. But we have to be humble and we have to say, God, I submit. That's why we lift our hands. Did you know that? It's submission. God, it's yours. I give up. We have to lose our lives in order to find it. That's what Jesus said. But some of you need to get it first in your heads and in your hearts. The creator of the universe made you in his image and he absolutely loves you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and you do not have a relationship with God, you, you, you're, maybe you've got questions, what is this? You know, maybe you were talked into coming or maybe you came because you're searching. Up here to my right, your left, Dave is up here. He's got a t-shirt on. He's one of our pastors here. If you have any questions for Dave, any questions at all, you're not gonna offend him. You're not gonna catch him off guard. Maybe he needs to get a cup of coffee with you. Maybe he needs to set an appointment with you or get lunch with you. But if you have any questions, please come up here and talk to Dave. There are also men and women on both sides of the stage that would love to pray with you. Listen, do not go at this alone. Sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need support. Sometimes we just need someone to put their hands on our shoulders and just bind with us and pray with us, right? These are your brothers. These are your sisters. It may be something as big as a cancer diagnosis. It may be something as small as you're thinking about moving and you don't know if you should do it or not. Come up here and let someone pray with you, please. The last thing is this, and we have a little extra time. There is communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. That represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just a reminder that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's a reminder that God sent his Holy Spirit. You're not alone. God's with you this this very moment. And all of us that give our lives to him, we have a part of God with us. That communion reminds us that we're not alone. 
that we can talk to him. We can ask him for things that we need. All we have to do is ask God to forgive us of our sins and we can take communion. Please don't pass that opportunity up. That's a wonderful gift. Father, Lord, I love you, God. I thank you. God, I thank you so much for this church. I love this church. I love the, the, the people of this church. I love their heart. I love their hunger, Lord. God, I pray that you bless them, bless their families, bless the marriages, Lord, bless the single people in this room, bless the families, God. Bless those who don't even believe in you yet, God, but they're searching. Lord, touch their minds, touch their hearts, God. Lord, let us know that you love us. You want what's best for us. Let us be humble. Let us submit to you, God. We thank you. We love you, God, and we pray all these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.